it's like an hour outside of Austin, and um, I didn't really know anything about it. I mean, the lineup was really cool. Yeah, and you just pull up to this like ghost town, and it's the Willie Nelson owns, and he played at the end of the night, which was super super fun. Are you still in sort of the everything is kind of surreal stage of things? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever. You'll get jaded sooner or later. Maybe about certain stuff, but I feel like there's always going to be stuff where I'm like, "Oh, whoa, this hasn't yeah. happened before. This is weird." I mean, which is cool. Totally. Wait, Willie Nelson's Ghost Town is a pretty high bar for surreality. Yeah, I mean, you're in an alternate universe, yeah. essentially. So, yeah, totally. It seems like all this happened pretty quick for you. I played around L.A. a lot. Yeah, and then and then suddenly it just kind of seems like I've been busier and busier, which is really, I'm so lucky. It's really cool. My understanding is you kind of, you got your tape into the hands of Ryan Adams and that sort of set the wheels in motion. I mean, I wouldn't say I got my tape in, I, I, because we met through a mutual friend who wanted to introduce us for some reason. Like he said that Ryan would like my music. Ryan had never listened to it before yeah. when I met him. I just like went to a studio to like hang out with a couple people. You didn't have that much music in the world. No, I didn't. And and yeah, I don't think there. Were, I definitely didn't have anything that I would have proudly shown him. We actually hung out for like a lot of hours. Like maybe it was like five hours of just like hanging out and talking and hanging out with a bunch of people and getting stupid snacks at Seven Eleven. And then he and I was nervous because I was a fan. But he handed me a guitar and was like, "Play songs." And then when I was done, he was like, be here at 4 p.m. That's a lot of preamble of you not actually playing any music. Yeah, totally. He had no context for me. We just we kind of like hung out first, yeah. which was cool. The difference between you just sort of getting there and then having to play music and you sort of ingratiating yourself in that situation and befriending him and having a nice afternoon, it's probably a little easier to just kind of ease into the music. Totally. Although he definitely, I think he gets off a little bit on like making people feel like, like, important which is so nerve-wracking like he just he handed me the guitar like a yeah like a beacon he was like he's like all right like we were joking around and then he was like all right and like didn't say anything he just handed me a guitar and i i my hands were definitely shaking so so it was like this is going to be your tryout right exactly like it was all hanging out totally chill and then it was like this silent serious moment (laughs) which i feel like he kind of knew did you go into that situation with any expectation that that would lead to something else? No. Everybody was like, Ryan's a weirdo. Like, he's probably going to like you, though. That was my only yeah. vibe with the whole hangout before I hung out with him was like, who knows what's going to happen? Where were you at musically at that point? I mean, you had a you had a demo out? Not really. I was <laughs> I was looking for a place to record my full-length album, and I had actually just met the guy who would end up producing my album. I met a lot of people around that time that I would end up surrounding myself by. Yeah. I met Tony Berg at the same time, and he produced my album with Ethan Gruska. How serious were you at the time? I mean, was that were you able to make music your full time job already? No, no, I was. It was definitely my goal, but yeah. I was not. I mean, able to be to fair, like that. I know a lot of people who like and very good people who've been doing this for a really long time who who are still unable to do it. Sure, yeah. So you know, at that point. What were you actually doing? Were you going to school at the time? No, I had decided not to go to college, graduated high school, was playing around LA, but I actually was in commercials as oh. like kind of my day job, which was Acting rad. Or... Yeah. Yeah. Which was rad because I worked what, like five days a year? Yeah. 
it was the most LA thing to oh, do. Oh, these are like ever. national spots. Yeah. 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 So so you do a couple of those and you're good for the year pretty right. much. Right. I mean it was it was really I was so lucky to be able to do that. Yeah. I, I basically got to treat music like my day job because of that and super privileged, but I'm really I'm glad. I'm lucky. Yeah. Was acting a serious pursuit for you? No. No. I, I, I wouldn't even really call it acting. Like, no. I barely, I, I don't even know if there's a commercial where I really say anything. <laughs> there, you know, there's stuff where I sing or whatever, but I, yeah, it's like, it's just kind of, exi- like, I and, and I usually got cast for, we want someone real or whatever. So it was like kind of <laughs> supposed to be like no. myself. So it wasn't, yeah, I wouldn't even really consider myself an actress at all. You grew up in LA. Yeah. But your parents didn't push you into being in commercials? No. No. It was like a total happenstance yeah. that I I was in my first commercial like something fell through and someone had heard of me because I was playing in this really crazy band called Sloppy Jane who actually live in New York now, but it's like basically performance art. Yeah. And I played bass and like they thought I looked cool or something and so they're like hey, there's a bass player in a performance art band. Let's get them to <laughs> yeah, be in this national exactly. spot. Uh-huh. So somebody just called you up or there was a scout or how does that happen? It, it was just like, I think he maybe messaged my like music Facebook yeah. page and, and he, I think he had, he had met my mom before so she knew he was legit. It wasn't like a weird yeah. Yeah. thing. Um, yeah, totally. Is your mom, is your mom in the business? No, not at all. Okay. She, they just cross paths. At yeah. Some point? LA. It's weird. Yeah like that so you opt not to go to college because you want to do music full-time yeah and the parents were cool with that decision yeah my mom was like encouraging me to apply to one place she was like just apply to a place yeah like see and so i applied to berkeley school of music and it was really cool but basically i i had just finished four years of an arts high school Mm -hmm. and most of the people i know who really thrived at Berkeley were working on an instrument or yeah. engineering or something. Or like and classically trained. Right. And so, and I didn't really see the point of going for like songwriting when all the songwriters I know are like, hmm. you know, at doing it, Yeah, <laughs> you know, what, no matter how successfully they're like playing around. And I, that's just what I felt like I wanted to do first. So there is that sense. It's the same with writers of having to kind of go out there and, and have some lived experience in order to find some subject matter to write yeah, about. Totally. You're coming off of being a teenager pretty recently. So that's, I mean, is that where you're drawing most of your inspiration? Was like the high angst? school experience? <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I, it, it's definitely in there because this is my debut album. Yeah. So there are songs there's like a song that's like five years old, but no, I'd say probably more so like making it into like adult life, <laughs> like is, adult is angst. The, 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 the transition into being a grown up is that's where you're drawing your inspiration. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say, I would say, yeah, I don't know if I've ever thought about it like that, but now that you say like teen angst, I think that there's just, more, it's mostly like adult angst on my album. So that is something that I hear a lot of people talk about too when it comes to, particularly when they're, I mean, I don't even know if you're thinking this far ahead about, you know, the, the second album because your uh-huh. first album isn't out yet and, and you're promoting it right now. But that is a sense that I get from a lot of people is this idea of kind of having to go outside of that a little bit, you know, of the issue I think a lot of people run into is you get all of this time to put together the first record you know it's it's right. drawn from a long period of time and then you get maybe a year or two to put out the second one yeah so 
you need to take that opportunity to go out and kind of find inspiration in the real world. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, the guy who produced my album, Tony, he really has been like reminding me every single time we talk that this is <laughs> going to be my most like free time yeah for a while hopefully so yeah he was like rewriting every time we talk so i'm trying to think ahead of that because you know, a lot of debut albums can you know are like stress so many people out do you have that regiment yet i mean do you have you figured out how you best write i'm i'm like i've um i used to have so much writing anxiety um which I'm really getting over. I tend to really like solitude, which I didn't really know about myself. I, and weirdly, touring has sort of helped me write because the time that I like the downtime I have, I'm so much more grateful for it's more than precious, when I yeah. yeah when I than when I'm just at home doing nothing. I write more weirdly now than I ever have because I'm getting busy and it seems like it's like slipping away. In spite of the fact that you're on tour and actively promoting this, you're able to find a certain number of hours during the day to actually sit down and write? Yeah, I wouldn't say every day. It's really hard to yeah. stick to it every day, but I also have like an ongoing note on my phone that's just lyrics and yeah. stuff from Is it my just sort life. of random pieces? Yes, super random pieces. So when I sit down to write it's it's getting easier and easier because yeah. i just have cumulative like, words and it's like a game of mad libs almost yeah absolutely sort of connecting the dots and yeah totally so songs are really being built around a certain phrase or something that you collect during the day yeah and even if it's not built around i mean actually i kind of love throwing away lines that are an, the initial reason that i yeah started writing a song because I, I, I'm going to sound so dumb even trying to remember what this is, but I know somewhere in history, Bob Dylan said that... Uh, <laughs> He's lived long enough. Yeah, He's probably said this at some point. He, he said something like, the, like, what you end up rhyming with can be more interesting than the thing yep. that you wanted to rhyme. Does it make sense? Like yeah. The thing that made you need to rhyme something can be... You're like, oh, whoa, that's a way cooler line yeah. than even the first line. It's the thing that sets the process in motion. Totally. So so I think that's a lot of what the notes are to me is like they might not even make it in the final yeah. song. It's just something to get me started, which if I have nothing, it's impossible yeah. to start. You said you had writing anxiety. Have you had any performance anxiety at the same time? Is it, is it ever, does that part of the process come naturally to you? I have a lot less performance anxiety than writing anxiety, but there definitely are. Yeah times where i get on stage and i'm like why am i so nervous right now and then yesterday I, I played a little session and i was like why am i so nervous and then i realized that i drank like half of the strongest cold brew i've ever had in my life and i was like that was a mistake so you were jittery i was super jittery yeah. and and so if something tiny goes wrong like that which it doesn't usually usually i'm fine but i swear if i'm like if my pick breaks in half which actually isn't a huge deal but if i have to like make it through the set with like some minor inconvenience i'm like aw suddenly aware of everything you think like, it might be a little ocd yeah oh yeah totally are you superstitious at all is that part of it i don't think it's possible to be superstitious about shows because ev I actually i kind of feel the opposite sometimes everything goes wrong yeah. the day of a show like it was impossible to commute uh, you're so jet lagged, you can't even keep your eyes open. And then weirdly, getting on stage is the most calm 
part of your mm-hmm. day. So I don't really see things that go wrong as like a bad omen. But if something goes wrong on stage, then you're like, oh, yeah. God, what? what am I doing? And you ramped up pretty quickly. What was a show like for you before you actually started recording? Were you doing like open mics, that sort of thing? Yeah, I was doing open mics. And then I played at this little venue called Room 5 a lot. And it was above a restaurant yeah. in L.A. And it was this weirdly like tight-knit group of songwriters that... They were so sweet to me, but I was a total baby to them. They, A lot of them wrote for other artists or had big pop hits or had publishing deals as writers or whatever. And it was kind of a place where they would go and share songs. And I always liked to play there. And it was really small and they made me feel really comfortable. But what I remember early on from playing shows is I didn't move or talk hmm. ever. And I feel like I'm finally relaxing enough to... Like, enjoy myself on stage. As you're playing in front of more people, you're starting to relax more? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think really intimate shows are way more nerve-wracking mm. than giant shows because you're, I don't know, the pressure is higher. Yeah. People are expecting this experience from you instead of just, like, a huge room full of people who are, like, trying to get a drink. Are you playing with people? What What is the setup like now? I play solo a lot and then sometimes i play with my best friend harrison on guitar but once the record comes out i for sure will start playing with more people yeah full band i always get the feeling that that would take some of the pressure off playing with other people on stage totally you can totally otherwise every single thing is on you right it's true that's definitely a big part of it and it's the best part about having someone else on stage is you can like (laughs) both revel in yeah things that go wrong or even if they mess up and you're supposed to be mad, you're like, oh, good. Not me. It wasn't me. It's fine. You did play in a band at one point. They're, they're out here now. But you moved on to just sort of doing the singer-songwriter thing. I mean, I played bass for them, and it was always kind of a thing where it was like, I did it whenever I could, but yeah. then it started getting, like, I could never do it. So That just sounded more like a fun project. It was so else. fun. And, but, and were, I mean, were they taking it seriously? Were you taking it seriously? Yeah. They okay. they take it really seriously. Haley Dahl, the lead singer, is one of my best friends, and she writes all the music. And, um, it, yeah, it's crazy. I recommend it. It's called Sloppy Jane. It's really, really weird yeah. and a treat. But you, but you needed to do your own thing. Yeah. I, I mean, if I could do both, I totally would. Yeah. But she's taking it really seriously, and I'm taking my thing seriously. So Was it easier to start that this new project off, the solo project, by just getting out there and, and doing it yourself? Was that just sort of the, the path of least resistance? Yeah, totally. I played with a band in high school that <laughs> I pissed off this manager guy once who he wanted to work with me. I thought he was a creep. And then he went and he hired my entire band to be an to back up another singer. <laughs> and they dropped out of high school yeah. and went on tour. And they're all still my best friends. I absolutely do not hold against them because they were kids and they wanted to get paid. But it was he was trying to mess with me. So so then weirdly, kind of by default, I started playing solo all the time. Yeah, I have, the same, I have the same conversation with stand-up comedians. I don't know how they take that first step, out, mm-hmm. especially especially with something as personal as songwriting. The difference between playing with the bands and the difference between playing with the sort of an art bands, and then just doing some really earnest songwriting and standing in front of a group of people. How do you take that first step? I mean, my lyrics have always been really personal, yeah. so I think maybe the first step was 
easy because I was playing with a band or I wanted to play with a band. But also, all the music I listened to was really personal and I, again, with the open mics, that really helped. It helped me get comfortable and then and then I started playing with a band and then when they all left, I I was already doing my thing and I didn't really think twice about it. At what point in the process in the past five years that you've been writing these songs, do you feel like you really hit upon what defined you? Like, I don't I don't know if I have yeah exactly (laughs) I have thought that I've done that before and then I'm always proven wrong like Hmm. there's always a moment where I'm like oh wait that's the song I was supposed to write or whatever so so being proven wrong is just getting a little bit closer to totally like I said with the writing anxiety I never thought I'd get over it and weirdly just I I just did like I I thought that I was always going to have that I hated writing with people. Now I can write with my friends. Yeah, it's been it's been cool. Like changing, it's been cool. But from a content perspective or, or a quality perspective, what is the what's the difference between a, a song you wrote five years ago and the songs you're writing now? Probably what you said earlier, like the teen angst yeah. versus like just more general life stuff. The oldest one on the record is a song called Chelsea, which I wrote basically because I was mad that a bunch of people in my high school were romanticizing Sid and Nancy. <laughs> I just thought it was so dumb. I was like, why why them? And then there's like one about He was he was a terrible bass player. D- dude, not even a he's like doesn't even count. He like wasn't even plugged in half the time. It doesn't make any sense. And then yeah, and then like first heartbreak, that kind of yeah. stuff. Like just that kind of stuff and then kind of came into myself and started writing more general life stuff for sure. So you feel like it's thus far been kind of present tense that, that you're really writing about things pretty soon after they happen to you. Yeah, totally. It's interesting though, that time period, that's the time period that's people just mine for years. I mean, if you look at um, like Springsteen, I think I actually think of the hold steady a lot when I think of this, because they're all, you know, they got, they've all got to be like well into their forties and they're still, that is still the time period for that. Right. There's, there's something that's... But the music that you write about it is obviously going to be really different if you go back to it. Right. Versus being in the moment. Yeah. I think there's definitely stuff where I've been like, oh, wow, I've never wrote about that. It seems yeah. weird that I wouldn't have. Yeah. So Such I, as? I had a house fire mm. in my like childhood yeah. home. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. was basically... Nobody was hurt, but it was... I mean, actually, my mom did get hurt, but she didn't, nobody was like, it wasn't from the fire. She like ran and like dislocated her knee. It was really traumatizing for everybody, but basically it was super weird and surreal. And I was like, that's never made into a song once. Not even like a throwaway weird line. Like I'm not, I don't need a whole song about it, but it seems weird that it's such a. Is that, is that the process of you sort of sitting down and figuring out what you're going to write about that day or is that just kind of basic remembering your life and it occurring to you that it's never made it into your work i think everybody who knows about it is like why is that yeah. in any song like, no so i think that's what made me think about it like songwriter friends saying it's yeah. weird that you've never written about that or people tried to make me do it before and i just never naturally did so so you don't feel like you're like actively like mining your past to no i think i every time i sit down to write i have so much to write about yeah that i just don't really think about 
the subject matter even. So serial killers. Yes. <laughs> was that an instance of you just trying to kind of get out of your life for a second? No, I, I was, it felt like it totally took over my brain in the same way that the Sid and Nancy thing did. It was so confusing to me that, that Sid and Nancy are this romanticized thing. And then the serial killer thing, I was, I guess just nobody had ever briefed me on like the history of American <laughs> serial killers. And, uh, and now it just like, it's as an adult, I teach in class. No, it's not, but it's common knowledge. Yeah. Everybody knows about everybody. So yeah. I, uh, somehow stumbled upon something probably on the internet and ended up in a YouTube Wikipedia wormhole for days. And I was convinced there was something wrong with me and convinced like that. I needed to be on some sort of like medication. <laughs> I like most people have had that experience right. and, and read the books and you know I've probably read everything written about Charles Manson and you totally. feel like you're like am I am I identifying a little too closely with this right. character? But see that was my comfort. Yeah. I think I realized wait. There's a huge money making industry yeah. profiting on the fact that people are obsessed with this. Why are there endless interviews with Dahmer on the internet yeah. that all have like so many views and they're so uh, again romanticized like he's like in the mind of you know one of the terrors of our yeah. time and you're like this is like a real person who actually killed people and but even beyond that I had a, a guy on the show uh, named Durf who's a cartoonist who went to school oh with... is he the yeah, my yeah, best yeah. friend or my my friend, friend Dahmer my friend guy. Dahmer yeah and it's and any any instance where you can shed some, not only just shed different light on it, but like actually kind of humanize. Yeah. That's the thing that people relate to. And I think that's the thing that freaks people out is how. That's what freaked me out about him yeah. specifically because. That he's I, a human you, being. Because he's a human being. And you watched like the John Wayne Gacy interviews and he's so obviously insane and isn't making any coherent sense. He's a clown even, too. Even Bundy really... is like trying to be manipulative and yeah. isn't even really. He just sounds like an idiot. And yeah. then Dahmer is like, I don't know. I just um feel really just heartbroken about you know what I've done and you know I think I just I don't know. He's he. It seems obvious that he's trying to figure out what happened in his own yeah. brain, and that was scary to me. I was like, can you imagine not having, or can can you imagine? those impulses and the truth is no but yeah. up late in wikipedia and not realizing that the whole universe is obsessed with serial killers was very troublesome to me as a late teen and how does that actually become a song i just i again with the it's it's stuff that i've become obsessed with um just it, i couldn't stop thinking about it so i started kind of accidentally writing about it i didn't sit down to write it i think i just was thinking about it every second yeah so in a way it's a nice exercise of trying to get out of your head a little bit right of finding a different hook outside of you to to tell that story right totally i think it's all through my lens so it still feels really personal but yeah. well that's but, unavoidable right? right totally but it is super weird to feel so connected to something that basically has nothing to do with you from that first recording session with Ryan Adams to where you are now to to actually having this album 
mm-hmm. uh, soon to, soon to be out in the world. What steps are we missing in that process? I went on tour a little bit after the Ryan Seven Inch, and that's started happening more and more. And I built a little community of musicians yeah. around myself and made this record very slowly, uh, which how, I think was really good for slowly. me. I met the producer, like I said, I met the producer at the same time I met Ryan, and that was in November of 2014. Mm-hmm. And we, I knew I wanted to work with him, but I didn't have all the songs that I wanted, and it was a very slow process. We were basically experimenting with each other. Like He, he was changing chords and showing me different weird voicings and like making me watch endless Beatles YouTube videos. It was like production boot camp. Yeah, it was production boot camp. Yeah. Absolutely. And then in 2016, that's really when I started the like more touring, more recording yeah. and then basically finished the record and now it's now. And it's just been more and more of the same, which is really cool. But yeah, it's just the the Ryan thing it definitely felt like stuff kicked off and started happening, but it's just been getting more and more frequent which is rad was was it useful going back and watching those like tutorials was that was that actually a helpful part of the process tutorial these homework assignments that he gave you was that actually helpful in the creation of of the album yeah i think um yeah he just showed me mostly he just showed me a lot of music i'd never heard before that was super inspiring to me and weird silent films and like it was just kind of like art boot camp a little bit it was a college experience you didn't have i mean that's like what most people who go to college for the humanities regardless of what they study like that's the experience that they have i mean everybody takes the film class everybody takes the music class everybody gets that and he was just sort of like jamming that all in at the same time yeah i think i was really lucky to be surrounded by a lot of people like that like ryan and tony and then all my friends who are my age and just constantly like consuming music and going to shows i think i was a part of a really like creative community of people who wanted to learn and do new stuff all the time how does watching a silent film help you make a record (laughs) um well i had this lyric it's not even on the album it's a newer song see i'm still going through this with him i I was after i recorded the album i went over there basically for fun and he showed it's uh I forget what it even was, but it, I had some lyric that reminded him of a a, a dance in a silent film. Huh. Stuff like that sticks with you. Yeah. Or I remember seeing Safety Last even yeah. when I was a kid and being so blown away because there's no special effects. Harold Lloyd is literally scaling yeah. a building without Hanging any... off the... Yeah, the without clock, any... Yeah. And it's actually... That's right where I grew up in Pasadena. Yeah. Um, the first ever freeway is right by my house where they're doing that like car chase. Yeah, I think just everything is inspiring if you if you like like that kind of stuff. I guess you get the pixies, the um, the dolly, like the slicing up eyeballs. Right, right. It sounds like it's kind of a continuous process. I mean, you you finish the album, but I guess nothing really changes at least until the album comes out. Are you in a holding pattern right now? Does it feel like? Yeah, although that it's been nice for writing um but yeah i'm it's definitely nerve-wracking knowing that the album's coming out and my work is done i just sit here and wait for it to come out (laughs) it's nice for writing from the standpoint just that you've had some downtime yeah do you feel like people's 
reaction to the album will have any sort of impact on the the music you're making? I don't know. I think that it's a dangerous game yeah. because if people like one song on your first record, then a lot of people try to recreate Go it or well, yeah. or people who want you to do well will try to get you to create recreate it and then yeah, I think I just am kind of in an unchecked creative yeah. zone right now, which is really sweet. But yeah, that's why it's nice. It's nobody's expecting any specific thing. That said, there are expectations. That's the crazy thing in all of this is you don't have an album, but NPR has covered you. Yeah, yeah, it's been cool. The pressure, or I don't even know if you're sort of internalizing it as pressure, it's been mostly a positive for you? Yeah, I... It has, because I finished the album, and then all this pressure to have a good album is coming after I'm done with it. So so I'm kind of like, it's out of my hands now. And other than that, it just feels nice to have people... Yeah pay attention you've been on such a crash course and it sounds like you've learned so much in that time period that even though the album hasn't come out that the, that the album that you would make today is still would still probably be vastly different than the one that's actually in the can right now right that's something that i think about all the time like yeah. if i could go back and re-record i would have done it yeah a million different times and i think that's really unhealthy like sure people, there is a certain point where you want to edit yourself and you want to go back and say like i can do better but you, you're always going to be able to do better, and that's what a second record is for. Yeah. I actually have this conversation a lot with people who are big fans of uh, of analog recording. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the main criticisms that they have of Pro Tools is the amount of control that it gives you over something. Yeah, totally. And the fact that because you can control every aspect of it, that you're basically going to produce that thing into the ground, and you're going to obsess. Right. And, you, and you need to... You need to have some mistakes on the record. And, and from your standpoint, you've got this very, you've got a snapshot, right, mm-hmm. of, of where you were at the time. And that's probably even better. Right. It was, and Tony, as a producer, is somewhere in the middle of, like, wanting there to be super spontaneous yeah. mistakes and then also really meticulous. He, I don't, I really think he did a great job like editing me basically making sure I didn't over edit but then also making sure that I did my best work although that being said the Ryan 7 inch was really fun because there's so much stuff I would go back and edit and he didn't let me it's on tape that's the hardest part when you first really set out to do something creative is the editing process yeah I mean it sounds like you're already pretty okay with this in the writing part of it but the idea of, of, you know, killing your darlings, of mm-hmm. like throwing out the best part of, of something or, or, you know, something that you're precious about in order to make a better product overall. Right. Do you feel that it's a better record because it might have been a little less spontaneous? I mean, I guess it could have gone two ways. He could have tried to just sort of capture you as you were mm-hmm. at the time. But you think because you went through that entire process, something better came out? Yeah, absolutely. It was it was like like you said it was very much an ongoing education. Yeah. So t- sometimes he'd <laughs> send me home and be like that's not a real song. Yeah. <laughs> Go write a real song. What does a not real song sound like? Like if I was going through some sort of formula where Yeah. it was or I didn't write a bridge, he'd be like go write a bridge. Yeah. Like it 
Don't that's funny like though. That's funny though because like that go right a bridge is, I mean, in in and of itself, kind of a formula, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and so, but I think we were perfect for each other in that yeah. way because sometimes I'd have to be like, Tony, yeah, this is here's a song where there's no bridge, and it's exactly what I wanted to achieve, and yeah, and we would fight all day, and then whoever ended up winning tended to be right, and a lot of the time it was him. So that's the thing that you that you have to shake too when you first start writing songs is is breaking out of that very that very basic formula i mean that that's the the that's almost the downside of knowing too much about it that's why so many interesting things come out of artists who aren't you know who haven't studied it too closely right totally but i suspect that that you probably most people when they start writing songs you start writing at a pretty early age Mm -hmm. you were adhering to a very specific formula yeah totally it was i i remember being like oh i I can't um you know, just feeling, feeling like you ha- you have to be like A B A B C. Yeah. Like, what is that? Yeah. And I don't really believe that anymore. But I also tend to get carried away, and sometimes I'll basically write a guided by voices song that's just like an outro to something. Mm-hmm. The the, uh, the twenty the sort of the twenty second. The twenty second. There's nothing like, wrong with formula. that. Um. Yeah. Totally. I think that there's just like a middle ground. Sometimes. Sometimes it's a piece of a song, and sometimes it's a whole song. The single, refresh me, refresh my memory. What's the name of the the first? Uh, the so, first one from. Yeah, it's the. I guess it's a song about about how shitty twenty sixteen was. Oh yeah, yeah, smoke signals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that basically doesn't even. That formula is like doesn't do anything for the whole song, and I like that about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> you were kind of exercising some demons on that one. Yeah, it was. It was really. As far as my writing goes, I wrote it really fast. Yeah. It was just really easy. Yeah. Which was cool. That's sort of the troubling thing, though, is the the singles, like the songs that really stick it with you are the ones that don't take any effort, mm-hmm. which is nice, but it's also a little unnerving at the same time that, you know, it's easy to spend too much time on something to run something in the ground. And then when you get to those periods, I mean, that's, that's why people run into writer's block, right? Yeah. It's because sometimes it just doesn't come like that. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, it definitely can make you feel kind of out of control because you can try as hard as you want. And then, you know, four days later you write something that you haven't been working on at all and it's done immediately and everybody likes it more than anything you've been working on. So do you find that that's the case with the things that people have, have liked the most or the ones that have just kind of poured out? No, I think, I think it, it's a mixture. It's a total mixture. Although it's really frustrating when that does happen (laughs) because I, I think that I work really hard on going back and trying to make songs better. Yeah. For I, I, my, I'm such a slow writer. Like, I can it can be a year before I finish something just and it's not like I'm working on it every day but I yeah, as long as you're working on other things at right, the same totally. time it's not a problem but sometimes that happens and it's yeah. super crazy you hear those stories and you always feel like they're like apocryphal like the um the Keith Richards one about him like waking up in the middle of the night and getting the the satisfaction riff right or Towns Van Zandt like writing a song in his sleep but I mean and then you then you live it right totally yeah, I mean, I have yet to write a song in my sleep, although yeah. I'm looking forward to the day. So where, where are you at as far as putting together the second one? I mean, you're in you're in the songwriting process right now. Yeah. Do you have, like, songs, full songs written? Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, They'll probably change a trillion times sure. before I end up recording them, but yeah, totally. Are you eager to record again? I, weirdly, I am, and I thought yeah. I would never say that because it's weird. 
Actually, the weirdest thing about recording to me, this is so embarrassing, but having to wear different clothes every day because I realized that I I never see the same people several times in a row, like for consecutive days. And then when you're recording, you do. And I realized like, oh my God, my habit is to wear the same exact thing for three days and then change my clothes. And that I definitely came up with like some pretty interesting outfits. Like I realized my closet is very limited when I've been so far away from it. Like when I, I haven't recorded yeah. for a year. So I forget little things like little annoyances like that. And yeah. I totally miss it. How does recording actually rank in your kind of hierarchy of parts of your job that you like? It's really high up there. I yeah. love it. I mean, it can be also my least favorite thing that I've ever done. Like getting to a studio and there's this, sometimes it can be really lethargic. Yeah. Like nobody's really had coffee or if someone's had too much coffee, dude is asleep on the couch. Like, Nobody really wants to be inside. It's a beautiful day in Los Angeles and you can just vibe on people wrong. And then there are days where it's like super energetic. Everybody's super excited to be recording. People are in and out in the studio of the studio, especially Tony's studio. It's like Blake Mills is in there for an hour and then he leaves. And then weirdly like, you know, T-Bone Burnett stops by to borrow some crazy instrument <laughs> and it, and you just feel like such a cool part of the community yeah but i really miss it i love recording but uh, that to me i think would be the most difficult part of the process is trying to channel whatever it is you're trying to channel in a song whatever it is you were feeling when you wrote the song in that setting and what can be kind of a, a sterile setting and and you know you wake up one day and you're in the recording process so now yeah. it's kind of like doing a job but you have to put yourself in the place that you were when you wrote that song yeah he used to turn off the lights when i would track vocals Tony would turn off the lights what, what difference does that make it was great it was like I wasn't watching people you're like watch astral me projecting the glass basically <laughs> yeah to- totally like what is it with Tila Tequila like it says she's doing on Twitter all the time like she I, I, travels I, through space or yeah, something yeah um but totally that's what I'm doing Tony was really really good at making me feel comfortable and making me feel like when I wrote the song or whatever because it can feel sterile yeah especially if you're suddenly super aware of the tiny little squeaks that your fingers are making when you play the chords that you've been fine playing for you know months and then suddenly you have to record them and you're like super self-conscious i mean i think that's the part that a lot of people forget is that like that it is it is a job there are those days where you 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 don't want to do it where it feels like work absolutely and and more than that i mean the thing that you're putting on record is that's the thing that's the object that's that's going to be people's definitive version of that song totally that's it's really scary to do that yeah do you feel like the songs the second time around are going to be dramatically different given how your life experience has changed over the past couple of years as far as what i'm writing now i don't think so i think i have a really similar style i think i just tend to write in the same style about a lot of different things yes so i'm sure it's so different definitely different subject matter for sure but i think my style is at least the same for now so yeah the fact that that maybe you're not going to have five or ten years to amass a collection of songs <laughs> right. i mean the, you know the the fact that you've got some real world constraints do you think that's going to be a, a net positive i think so I, like i said with touring weirdly makes me write more and maybe yeah not having very much time to record and write a second album will make me focus on it even harder and like maybe i'll 
maybe the rules or the freedom or whatever that quote is. <laughs> are the songs still evolving? I mean, that's kind of the Bob Dylan thing, right? Of like going to see him and having them never be totally. the same. Yeah. Weirdly, I the first time I do that all the time, like I'll change melodies or small lyrics and Connor Oberst actually, I know that he's just actually forgetting the, <laughs> what the lyrics actually were, yeah. but sometimes he'll make something up that's like so cool. Yeah. And it's really similar to what it used to be, but it means something completely different or it means something slightly adjacent. And then touring with Julian Baker, she, everybody was screaming the words to her record, but she found melodies for songs that everybody knew that were somehow like adding to adding to it instead of changing it yeah. in a weird way like she it was it was really cool to see it, it all grow even though she just recorded the record and she was touring on that record every night it would be something different and then you would see what she ended up liking because she would do it again and she wouldn't do other stuff and then it would be like something new and it would just kind of grow and change and it was really cool to watch. And the flip side of that is when you write something, wrote something five years ago or ten years ago, and you're still able to find something in it that you can relate to, then then you've probably written something good. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think, yeah, but it's easy, it's easy to zone out on stage too, but I, sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot how like emotional I was when I wrote this song. Yeah. yeah. So, you, so you're not, uh, those f- five-year-old songs, you're, do you still feel good about them? Yeah, but but it I it's definitely easy to check out of them as yeah. well and start thinking about like that you need to do your laundry because you haven't in two weeks and you're on tour and then <laughs> and then sometimes you're really in it and I don't think that one is good or bad. Sometimes it's nice to be distracted and not nervous on stage. There you go, that's Phoebe Bridgers. Really, really enjoy that conversation, and I actually was not familiar with her work when I was approached to do the interview, but I listened to her new single, Motion Sickness, and was really into it. I just immediately liked the song, which is a very rare thing for me and new artists, so I uh, sat down with her, and I'm glad I did. Those of you who listen to the show with any regularity probably know that we tend to interview artists who have been doing this for decades now, so it was nice to get somebody who's really just starting out in the business. Her new album is due out on the 22nd. It's called Stranger in the Alps, so check that out and uh, check out this single motion sickness it's on uh, spotify and there's a fun video on youtube as well thanks so much to her for taking the time to do that thanks to amanda at chromatic for setting up the conversation and introducing me to phoebe's work i have recommended her to many phoebe i mean amanda's great too but i have recommended phoebe's work to uh, many people subsequently thanks to you guys as always for listening to the show if you do like the program please consider supporting us on patreon you can rate us on itunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts like us on Facebook, follow us on Tumblr, that's rylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your RIYL-related information. If you got any feedback, send us an email, that's rylcast at gmail.com. And I think that's about all I got for this week, so stick around, because we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL. <laughs>